Hey guys, welcome to Radical Rocks. I'm your host Shane. Today we've got a very exciting episode filled with condor agates, rare jewelry finds, lapidary geometric designs, uh, jasper chert, uh, chert, and also how to make your own grinder, and so much more. guys thank you for tuning in thank you for liking and subscribing and sharing helping keeping rock hounding alive as uh, we mentioned we're going to talk about condor agates and a bunch of other cool subjects such as jasper chert making decorations on the back of your cabochon can be pretty spectacular making your own lapidary grinder and so much more Hey, um, if you haven't got a chance to go to RadicalRocks.com, you can scroll down to the bottom and check out all our other media, social media. We've got videos, blogs, all that good stuff. Um, check it out because uh, we are going on some trips. My son Zach is coming down. If you've watched our videos, you know we do uh, rock hounding trips. And we're going to go dig up some fossils here in Idaho. We're also going to go and maybe do some gold panning and some mineral collecting and see how we do and we'll take you along for that adventure if that is something you're interested in so one of the first things um, that's popping up here <coughs> is a maple ridge lapidary club they have a beginner's uh, club a beginner's group to help you learn how to make knives now knives are kind of cool because you can make the handles out of lapidary material but you need to have a knife first, right? So this lapidary club, the Maple Ridge Lapidary Club, been around for 60 years. They are hosting a class. They've got all the tools, um, custom knives. You can make your own. You can make one with embellishments, um, designs. You can make a kitchen knife. You can make a fishing knife, hunting knife, camping knife, even a letter opener, whatever you want. Um, and then you learn about rocks, minerals, and sculpture and jewelry making. And you can go to minerallapidaryclub.com if you want to check that out. Pretty cool. Uh, or you can go to the website mapleridgenews.com. It's right there. Colleen Flanagan wrote that on the 22nd. So this is pretty cool. Next, hopefully... Um, my computer doesn't glitch out because I was, I already recorded up to this point and I all the website dropped, so I had to go back and dig everything up again. 
Looks like we are having a success. How about the Antiques Roadshow? You remember that? People are waiting in line, hoping maybe they have something. They don't really know what they have. And, of course, the most exciting ones are the ones that are worth a whole bunch of money. Well, on mirror.co.uk, our friends over in Britain on the BBC show, Antiques Roadshow, found out that this uh, lady is she's just stunned when she finds out this beautiful aquamarine it's actually a blue color um, it's very dated and this individual who is the appraisal says this aquamarine at this size is a real beauty um, it comes from Santa Mar it's a Santa Maria aquamarine one that her grandfather brought back in the 1920s, maybe the 1930s, and they had it mounted on a brooch, only worn on a few times, just a family heirloom set in 18 karat white gold um, with this huge gemstone on there. I think it was like seven carats when I was looking at it. Um, quite beautiful, kind of a square cut. Uh, 75 carats, excuse me, 75 carats. It's a whopper. And they said 20,000 pounds this baby's worth. Very blue, very saturated, um, not treated, natural, rare, blue, 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 um, super awesome aquamarine. Pretty cool. Um, next, we have uh, Jim and Mineral Show in Augusta. Now, we thought this was Augusta, Georgia, but as I look down on the page, it actually says Maine, the state of Maine. So that's where it looks like it's from. Uh, you go to uh, centralmaine.com. That's a dead giveaway, right? Centralmaine.com and look up Club to Hold Gym Mineral Show in Augusta, and you will find out this is going to happen um, this weekend, September 4th. And the 5th, I think the 4th is actually, um, yes, Sunday's the day before Labor Day, I believe, right? So pretty cool. You want to check that out if you're there. It's sponsored by the Kennebex Rock and Mineral Club. Um, and they have door prizes and cabbing. Admission is $2. Hopefully they'll let some kids in, right? But uh, all the information is here. If you want to go check out the displays, people will be showing off stuff and selling stuff there that you want to check out. Now, I always talk about Rock and Jim. It's Rock, the letter N, and Jim. Um, they always have some really cool information on different things, and they just email it to me. Uh, it's free. I'm on their email list, and you can be too if you want to. Um, but I recommend you subscribe to the magazine. They're not a sponsor, but uh, they should be. <laughs> They should sponsor us. Anyway, have you heard of Jasper Chert or uh, Jasp Chert, as it's affectionately known? The article was on channel, uh, channeling a mother rock uh, chert and is credited to Rebecca Salone. And she talks about an article that she wrote called Cherishing Chert on March 2020. It's a mother rock for the ages, and she talks about the origins of chert there as uh, the Earth's early ocean basins, 
and all of this um, famous, you know, the way it was created and and was uh, got its different banded formations, such as the Colorado Plateau, Plateau, and the Mingus Mountain in the Black Hills region of northern Arizona. So the actual formation of these ancient deposits, uh, they now crop out of the top of this Mingus Mountain and uh, is a source of a hematite jasper chert in the Verde Valley. And it's very beautiful. It's also uh, sometimes associated with a opaque variety of chalcedony known as jasper, thus the term jasp chert. So these rocks are very unique, and um, she describes them in that article and also in this article that she wrote. And she talks about the chert-based minerals and how they combine all the different rock classification categories. And this is because they're really considered kind of a sedimentary rock, but because they can contain so many different minerals. For example, the chert-based cabalaba, of a BIF rock containing calcium, magnesium carbonate, iron oxides, constitutes just a few of the chert minerals commonly found in Arizona and that are known to be all around the world. These can be uh, complex formations that encompass the Earth's fundamental um, stratigraphic units as as defined by the geological time scale and the study of physical geology. That's a mouthful, but basically, um, Chert is said to have been a marker of all these geographical um, stratas through the time of of the Earth just being here and uh, breaking down and and having these um, sedimentary rocks form over the... uh, Millenniums, I guess we could say. So the complex, because it is composed of often two or three different types of sedimentary, metamorphic, and also igneous rocks. So chert can contain all of these or, or one or more of them, uh, multiples, and oftentimes three or, uh, or, or so of these. So when you look at these cherts, you think, oh, you know, or I do anyway, you think about arrowheads and it's not really the best color, not really the shiniest, you know, a little bit of color. Some are more colorful than others, but they can be very colorful and they can take a really good shine because most chert contains some quartz, which accounts for this dense microcrystalline um, composition. And because of that high quartz, if it does have a higher quartz, Um, This uh, will help it be very good for polishing and also that uh, content makes means that chert can be organic or inorganic as uh, it allows for replacement material in sedimentary rocks. So what that basically means is like when you see petrified wood, you know that's not the wood. It's had replacement products that have you know rocks and minerals and silica that have placed themselves in that um, and made it nice and hard where we could slice that up and polish it and such so that's kind of it in a uh, in a nutshell and she goes into some detail um, quoting uh, the site uh, 
mrdata.usgsgov, blah, blah, blah. There's more to it. It's a long, but talking about how the um, microscopic um, crystalline makeup is composed um, and so on and so forth. So you can check that out. And she has a picture of this Picasso chert from Burrow Creek. Now we usually call it uh, Jasper, Picasso Jasper. But um, here it is stated that it is actually a chert. And there are quite a few of these examples of inorganic chert rocks from Arizona. Now, um, she goes on to talk about uh, some of the things that she's made with them, necklaces and such. But when you look at the patterns from Burrow Creek, Arizona, you can see that this Picasso chert can be quite beautiful because it has designs and pictures on it that are quite abstract and beautiful and create this pattern. Tiny solution grooves about one millimeter or less width are formed on the surface of soluble rock and then they get filled with different materials and given it this pattern. Also, um, there's an opaline, uh, opaline variety of chert that's layered with a travertine, travertine formation at the McDowell Sonora Preserve, and uh, that is uh, by Scottsdale, Arizona, and where limestone is also overlaid and becomes part of, uh, it's in an area where there's metamorphic rhyolite rock, and this metarhyolite rock is rich in silica and also a source likely to contributing to making chert, to chert happening when it forms over those old mineral deposits, whether they be organic or inorganic. And the, that's what gives them their colors and their patterns and infuses the silicone, silicon, uh, silica rather into them at some level. And that would include these coatings of calcite, silica, and possibly even algae uh, in these cavities that could give it a coarse calcite water-saturated environment to help it metamorphically become um, hydra through water and then infused with the silica. Sometimes this becomes opal, but uh, when it doesn't uh, hold the water in the crystals, at that level, then of course it's not an opal. You don't get that opal look to it, but you can still get from the silica, the jasper uh, look to it and have something that can polish. Therefore, the, the jasp shirt. Okay, hope that's not too complex of way of trying to describe something that is pretty complex if you want to read this in, in detail. They go into it and they break it down to the hydrosilica SiO2 NH2O and the SiO2 and so on and so forth. But I, you know, that's over my head, so I am not going to go into it at that level. But this chert uh, is found is durable. It lasts a long time. It it wears away. Uh, when the mountains uplift and such, such as the Colorado Plateau uh, in the border of New Mexico, you've got the Mongolian Rim, where there's all kinds of uh, complex cherts that uh, can be found there that are so are of limestone 
chert formations that are remains of coral reef outcrops. So these can be quite beautiful, uh, very collectible, and uh, can be polished. And they've got some pictures of a lot of different varieties here uh, on Rock and Jim. If you want to look this up, you can check it out. Now, some of the chalcedony-rich rocks that in are incorporated into chert and jasper materials um, are found in the Payson area of Arizona, such as pink jasper nodules, boldly banded church, uh, chert that is known by the local rockhounds as zebra stone. These sedimentary and igneous mixtures of weather-resistant materials from rugged, rugged to, topography are of gravel sediments and transported by ancient river systems and deposited in central and northern Arizona. And one of them is called the Cherry Coral. And that is in the Rimstone Strata uh, here in this area that we've been talking about in northern Arizona. Quite beautiful. They've got some pictures of it here. Uh, it can look banded. It can look like a mountain. Um, it has a white kind of background with the red uh, cherry red colors and different varying um, colors. Also in these canyons, there's vertebrae fossils along with sea sponge, reef cast, and uh, str stromatoprods and invertebrae reef-forming species. So there's a variety of things in this area that uh, could be found. Now, they compare here the barcano agate specimens with uh, the other calves that we were talking about the from the rimstone area, the cherry coral. And uh, they're quite beautiful, very beautiful. Red, uh, striking red and varying colors with layers, some of them. And uh, that is, the red is from iron, typically. Iron bands uh, show up as red in this particular uh, gemstone of chert formation. Now, they talk about all the different continents having their own various um, little subtle differences that make for the different specimens that you find all over. Um, they go into Chalcedony that is also found in the Verde Valley where a lot of this chert or jasper or agate jasper and these igneous rocks are found with beautiful show-stopping colors. Um, Bold bands of hematite take a nice polish. That can be found in the area. Also, um, they cite the Mingus Gym and Mineral Club and their friends that are there that have uh, <coughs> worked on these specimens and show them at uh, different shows and stuff. So the Barcano agate varieties discovered. Um, this here, this discovery... Uh, is named the Barracano agate in the honor of the person who discovered them. And it's been classified as an agate, although there are some other orange-banded nodules that are clearly opaque and show the characteristics of chert and jasper. And the hardness is an incredible 7.2 on the Mohs scale, so very hard, very durable jasper agate deposits in this Mogollion Rim. Uh, it's M-O-G-O-L-L-O-N Ridge, or Rim rather, is just loaded with these different colors with the attributes of agate, jasper, crystalline quartz, quartz, druzy formations, and such. 
Um, it goes into quite a bit about this. Uh, goes into more about the formation and the cementing of it, um, the microscopic fibers that created it, the banding process. And then they go into their field trip to collect the iconic Arizona variety zebra stone. Now there's black and brown, there's tan banded shirt, there's pine paisen. Uh, it, this is all found in the pine paisen Mongolon Rimstone Wilderness. And um, on mindat.org, you can find out about this if you look up zebra stone also classified as Arizona Chert. So there's other areas you can look up information about Chert that are cited here. Um, there's conversations about the silification and Chertification, uh, specifically about the zebra stone that is found in, uh, all over in this area. And the Baracano Agate Pink Orange Banded Jasper Chert uh, high, with higher levels of silica, siliconization, chalcedony, grain quartz, and all this can be found in these areas. They've got some jewelry here that's made with the zebra stone. I have some of that myself. And um, they call it jasp, another one that is of iron. They call it jasp, jaspalite because of the iron-rich content and bands of hematite and quartz that are common in these banded rocks that uh, are of igneous form, according to Mindat. Also, fossil forms that are in these cherts are discussed to some extent. Um, as we talked about the coral and other things that can be found there, there is very many, many mixes of rocks and stones there. Then they give their references. There's a lot of great references here that can be looked at if this is something you want to pursue. Now next we have Lapidary Tips DIY Inexpensive Lapidary Grinder. So if you go to silverandstone.wordpress.com uh, Silverstone's blog is there and um, the disclaimer is, you know, be careful if you do try to make your own equipment. Um, this is just information. I'm not telling you to do it. I'm not telling you this is safe or anything like that. Um, I'm not telling you how it works. I've made things out of used motors and things like that myself. So if you do that, you're doing it at your own risk. Um, you should be have knowledgeable on electrical or higher electrician. Um, because you can make a big mistake and, and do something dangerous. But if you're like me, um, you're going to come up with something one way or another, so these might be some ideas for you to kick around. Um, it was posted way back on 2011, but they talk about building an inexpensive diamond lapidary grinder that can handle a lot of grinding tasks that can be done with just some lapidary wheels. They show a diamond wheel here, the Galaxy Grinding Wheel, which is a metal wheel that is impregnated with diamonds all over it. Um, and we will talk more about the size of that. But you can get one of these wheels. Johnson Brothers um, is a place you can go to Johnson Brothers Lapidary Supply. I know I've met them before. They're good people and they sell 
products very good. You can go to Diamond Pacific, um, Kingsley North. There's all kinds of places. Uh, Covington Engineering. There's all sorts of places what will supply you with diamond wheels and grinding wheels and things like that. So when you want to remove the saw tabs from the corner of your slabs, so if you don't if you haven't done lapidary, the first thing you need is is a trim saw, but you can buy lapidary slabs pre-cut um, on eBay and at these rock shows and things like that all day long. You get these slabs, you draw a picture of what you want to cut out or you scratch into it with a with a marker that's made of aluminum or brass and you you use a template if you want and you you make a an oval or a circle or if you're really ambitious you might make some other um shapes such as hearts or octagons or whatever the imagination is you can freehand things i like to freehand a lot myself especially when a smaller stone just to see what it what it wants to be kind of is what I call it as you're grinding it you just kind of get a feel for the good spots and the beauty of the stone and you just let the stone become what it wants to be um, by your own intuition and uh, eye by grinding it so you can do that um, and you can use this uh, uh, wheel to grind away the uh, opaque skin from agates to expose features so if you get a really ugly a lot of times agate looks just like um, garbage rock, but you can kind of tell what the material is. You can grind a window on that and kind of see, oh, yeah, some nice color there or whatnot. See if you want to uh, start cutting it. If you're going to cut something, you can use a big grinding wheel like this, a diamond wheel that's about 100 grit um, or more um, or larger uh, size. So that would be like 50. 50s actually would be a bigger grit or 75, 80 is typically the numbers you come up with. Um, this would really dig into that rock uh, if you were going to want to do that. So 100 is probably a good, a good one to start with. Diamond wheel coatings are only a few microns thick, uh, where a masonry saw blade diamond deposits of an eighth to a quarter inch thick, which is several hundred times more than on wheels. Saw blades are only one-third inch wide, but if grouped together with spaces in between, you can create a wide grinding surface. So this is another idea where you just basically take a bunch of diamond wheels and you put them together. You just stack them together. Um, you can put a little spacer in between each one. Some people do that. Um, they will um, put little washers or something in between the saw blades to create their own wheel. That's an expensive way to make a wheel. Um, you can space them up to one eighth inch according to this article. I've seen it before where they're just like a washer thickness spaced apart, um, which can work good and uh, will eat through material very quickly. But you've got to have water on this, okay? Um, you could use a spray bottle, but if that's the case, you better wear a respirator, a fitted respirator, <coughs> because that silica dust will give you sicilic poisoning and uh, make you die so but if it's wet it just goes down the drain it's harmless um, a mask would be optional i personally don't wear one when i'm keeping the material wet but it is important to make sure that it stays wet so six seven inch masonry um, blades would be cheaper uh, if you shop around these can usually be had for under 10 bucks a piece 
If you look around, you can find them. So if you bought six of them, um, that would be like 60 bucks. And then you could use uh, hose washers for spacers if you want to go up to an eighth inch. Um, that would keep them from, that would kind of keep them from, if you use a, a washer in between them, they might spin and it might get ate up a little bit. I don't know. I've, I've seen it both ways. You want to use a 1,800 RPM motor and you want to have a splash shield. Now, there is a splash shield you can buy called the Lore Tone. It's L-O-R-T-O-N-E. Um, at the time of this writing, they were about 50 bucks. So uh, it's just basic, got a pan, and then it's got a piece of sheet metal that comes up and over the wheel, kind of keep the water from going all around. And then you would need a motor um, shaft grinder adapter. So um, you're going to need to do something to the motor to make sure that you can bolt this uh, wheel to it. And they tell you how to do that. So it says if you have a used motor, you can build this grinder for about $110. And it's only about $60 if you have your own splash shield, which you could, you know, use a pan and maybe form some uh, sheet metal or something around. Uh, I would make sure it's steady, though. You don't want it to come loose and as your wheels are spinning and it shoots it at you and, and cuts your, your face off or something, that would be bad. But these type of motors um, that you get from a washer or a dryer are typically the ones that you see the dryer motor um, and then they wire it for the high speed. So you would have to look at the wiring schematic. If you know if you're not an electrician, I would recommend you get an electrician to help you do that. Make sure that it's safe. A lot of times I see people slap these lapidary units together, these grinders, and they just use tape. You know, they just twist, they cut a cord off of something and they they stub it into the motor and you know it's just very unsafe. And you you want a cord that goes from the motor, it's tied into the motor underneath the plate that, you know, and you want the right type of uh, connectors that are on there. You would need a crimping device, the right crimping device to crimp the connectors on there. You would want those fitted. You want to put that cover back on there. Um, you will want to make sure that the plug is uh, a good insulated cord and continuous all the way to the plug. You don't want to splice in pieces. That is just asking for electrocution or fire. Another thing I like to do <coughs> is uh, keep the ground wire, the green wire, just a tiny bit longer than the other wires so that if the wires were to pop loose, the last one to disconnect would be that ground wire. Um, if there's not a ground wire on your motor, you can hook up that ground anywhere on that motor. You can pull a little nut off of the motor if there's enough threads and mount it right there or where the motor mounts to the table. You can put a nice uh, piece of wire and jumper it over um, to your to where the, the cord goes into the motor. Just make sure there's a ground on there because uh, you want to be safe. You don't want any dangerous things. So there's two ways of doing it. You use a used motor. Uh, make sure the shaft is the same size as the grinder and you can use uh, either a, a grinding wheel that you would buy from a lapidary company or you could stack a bunch of just cheap um, you know uh, masonry saw blades 
that you get at uh, Harbor Freight or Home Depot or something like that and try the stacking method and space them a little bit apart with uh, maybe the hose thing, which is suggested here. So again, if you want to check this out, it's silverstone.wordpress.com. He's got some lapidary tips here. He's got a lot of blogs. Looks like he's put some work into this. So kudos to him for doing that and showing us how to build a uh, in inexpensive lapidary grinder. Next, we have... Oh, I hope I didn't close. Okay, yeah. Making a geometric decoration from the back. Now, this is from our friends at Rock and Jim. Again, they just emailed me this. And what this is, is it is making... Let's say you have a cabochon, okay? They've got a picture of a teardrop cabochon here. It is a... It looks like a piece of agate. It looks like it could be a slice of a... Perhaps, I'm guessing, a Brazilian agate. Imagine the fat part of the teardrop has a brown brownish part of the agate and then it goes into a clear and then the tip goes back into a yellowish brown tip okay like a teardrop now because this is a translucent uh, agate in other words if you hold it up to the light you can kind of see through it a little bit it's pretty cloudy you know it's not crystal clear or anything but light will shine through it now you flip it over after you're done making the cabochon and you make these half circles and you dot them down the length of your cabochon. So what happens once you polish these, now you have this teardrop with these beautiful spheres. It looks like spheres inside of it, giving it so much more dimension and beauty to the rock, um, bringing more light into the rock bringing this design into the rock. Very, very neat. Um, the way Bob Rush does it in the article, he goes into great detail. He looks for a cab that has some differing colors, but no real definite pattern. So this is putting a pattern in something that has a good color, but it's making something that's just like, yeah, ho-hum, into something that just really pops and looks great. So one of the things you can do is make these half circle holes in here. The way he did it is he used a eight inch diameter grinding sanding wheel um, and grinded and sanded the curve. So he did that and then he used a method to sand and groove with a one inch Mizzy silicon carbide grinding wheel. And uh, they can be used dry. Of course, you would have to use a, a respirator because this dust is not good. You have to you have to have protection, folks, if you're going to do anything dry. I don't recommend it. But the Mizzy wheel works very quickly, and it leaves a smooth surface. So he starts with the flat side. He's polishing the whole back side, too. He used a 220-grit soft binder block. Um, he holds the carving block parallel. Uh, to the surface and pushes it in an oblong angle that of the curvature and sanding can be quickly. Uh, then he repeats with 400 and 600 grits to polish. Now his cab is about three and three quarter inch. He used a 
three and a quarter diameter circle template to lay out the location of the back of the cab. So this is how he came up with his uh, his size, and he spaced the la largest holes apart, three quarter inch. Oh, you know what he did? He made three holes that are a third uh, or three quarters of an inch, and then he made three holes that are a quarter of an inch. That's how he did it. And he used a diameter circle template to lay it out. And then he was able to grind it. Um, he used 36 grit burr within 4 millimeters from the front surface of the cab. And then grinded with 220 and then finally the 400 grit. Using these uh, wood bores, coarse files to fill the holes. And four different size bits, small enough for each hole. So he just ground them out. Basically, it looks like a bowl, little bowls. So he's got a picture here where he drew these all out. Um, incrementally, the circles start big, smaller, smaller, smaller. So you might want to go check this out, rockandjim.com. Go to making a geometric decoration from the back. And they will show you how they drew this template out and gives you a list of what was used to make that happen. So guys, um, I've got a really busy week this week, so I thank you all for tuning in. And um, I needed to get something done tonight or I wasn't going to get anything done at all this weekend. So I hope that is some good information for you to get you through the week, give you your rock hounding fix, your radical rocks fix. Until next time, thank you for tuning in and remember rock hounds don't die. They petrify.